the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Have you ever had to cut a friend or family member out of your life? Has a loved one ever cut you out of their life? More than half the people in this country have had a falling out with a family member at some point, and many of them never reconciled. But what can we learn from their stories? WNYC's Death, Sex, and Money podcast just completed a new series on estrangement, and coming up, we'll sit down with host Anna Sale to discover what she learned in making the series. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. today. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. When you consider your life, who are the people that fill it up? Who are the ones that connect with you, that bring you joy, that allow you grace, and sometimes allow you to feel elation? And where do they mostly exist? People make up so much of our life, but sometimes those same people and the organizations that they are a part of can be harmful or cause us pain. And sometimes that harm reaches such a degree that we have to remove ourselves from the situation entirely. Cutting ties with places and people is happening a lot to a lot of Americans right now. According to some polling we have on this, more than half of the people in this country have had a falling out with a family member at some point, and many of them have never reconciled this break. This change can be good and empowering. It can allow us the freedom to explore ourselves and avenues to connection. It can give us space to heal. But it is also almost always painful. Cutting ties with lovers, friends, Family or important social spaces is hard and often opens up a vacuum where you have to go searching for new friends, new community, new connections. The Death, Sex, and Money podcast has been exploring all of this in their new series on estrangement. In it, the team and the podcast host, Anna Sale, have been looking at why Americans cut ties with others, the role that politics and religion sometimes play in it, and what the process as a whole looks like. Here to talk about this is Anna Sale. Anna, welcome back to Detroit Today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Nick. I'm glad to have you here also because I've had a chance to listen to the podcast, which I found very enthralling. But instead of me trying to describe it, I just want you to start out and let people know, what were you trying to accomplish with this estrangement series on your podcast? You know, when we started, we didn't really know. It started actually with an intern who was working on our show, and and she asked in that editorial meeting, have you ever done anything about estrangement? And one thing we do on our show fairly often is we just sort of come up with these big questions, and we ask our audience. And we ask people if they had had experiences with estrangement, whether within their family, with a particular relationship, or estranging from a community or a political party, um, some something that had once defined their identity that they had broken away from. Um, and we were just inundated with stories from people. Hundreds and hundreds of listeners got in touch. Um, and the thing that really stuck out to me as we were sifting through all of these very particular unique stories was that along with kind of the you know, pain of breaking off a relationship or trying to understand why you've been broken off, had had a relationship broken off. Um, another very sort of uh, common feature of estrangement is this feeling of sort of shame and isolation. Um, we don't really have a very readily available vocabulary socially to talk about estrangement. You know, think about if you're a mother who doesn't have a relationship with an adult child. That's awkward when it comes up at a cocktail party. Um, So I think that that was something we really wanted to explore was, you know, tell a bunch of these stories of estrangement because it is not that unusual. There was a survey done by a Cornell professor, Carl Pillimer, 
and found that up to a quarter of Americans have experienced estrangement within their families. That's a lot of people, one in four. Um, so we wanted to explore the experience of estrangement and the way we ended up organizing it was over three episodes. We looked at someone who was sort of feeling like he needed to estrange from a religious community where he grew up, but he but he was very aware of the trade-offs that would come with that. So he was sort of stuck. And then we, in the second episode, we looked at experiences of people who had very recently become estranged. And then in the third and final episode, we looked at people who had been estranged for years and years to kind of get a sense of the features of, of estrangement when it becomes um, a very well-worn part of your identity. You know, you mentioned one of the common features that you see is uh, the feeling of shame as well as isolation, which I guess would go hand in hand with the idea of estrangement, right? That'd be one less person in your life that held a significant part. But another thing that used to hold a very significant part in our U.S. lives were uh, participation in groups, you know, religious Mm. participation, as well as institutions, maybe just the local VFW hard uh, hall. Uh, but now that we have institutional, less institutional support, how have you seen Americans grappling with this lack of uh, support that we used to have from all these other organizations? You know, um, that's something I have, have thought about a lot. Um, I actually wrote a book called Let's Talk About Hard Things. And part of the thesis was like we used to have institutions and rituals that kind of helped us be a stand-in for having these direct, awkward conversations about hard things, you know, Um, and has that has fallen away, that more of the onus of us figuring out how to confront difficult things in our lives, whether it's a good or bad thing, the way institutions have have sort of fallen away in our lives, that that we have to figure out how to have those conversations on our own because the bad things and the hard things are not going away. Um, as far as in this series, uh, we didn't really hear about um, that. The, the, the one sort of uh, story we heard about uh, grappling with an institution was in our very first episode. It's a listener. We didn't use his real name. We called him Brian. And he grew up in a religious community and one that he called high control. Um, His wife, who he's been with since he was in school, he, he said he's always been her since elementary school. They've been sort of sweethearts his whole entire life. She's also in the religious community and his parents are in the religious community. And now he's middle-aged and he has come to have some doubts about the teachings of of the religious community in which he has lived his entire life. Um, and, And what brought that about for him was he was one of three siblings, one of three kids, um, and both of his other siblings were sort of cast out from the religious community. Um, And it was something he participated in. And as he's reached midlife, he's come to believe that that was not the right thing to do, actually. That was the wrong thing to do. And it's led him to sort of question his whole system of beliefs. Um, But now he feels quite stuck because his entire world is built around uh, this religious community. So he's sort of secretly harboring doubts for now um, and kind of trying to figure out, trying to figure out where this is going to go. It's really interesting that you bring up that story because it seems like the group cutting off someone he was close to ended up with him now wanting to cut off from them and it's like this series of estrangement or cutting off that happens, a cycle. And you wonder, how could we even stop this as uh, people use this kind of in response? But one of the things I want to ask you about with this series, as we dovetail it, you mentioned you talked to hundreds of different people. Was there any interesting experience or idea or thought or prevailing theme that you did not expect to hear or you were surprised to hear when you were learning all these stories from all of these people, from all of these varied lifestyles and backgrounds? You know, something I, I thought about a lot when we were first starting the series was, you know, I was I was trying to kind of put my finger on how estrange, what, what is estrangement? Does it include a breakup? You know, that's the end of a very important relationship. Does it include divorce? Um, uh, how how should I think of estrangement and its sort of boundaries? Um, and I actually have come to think of uh, estrangement as 
as different than the end of a romantic relationship for, for one kind of key reason. And that is um, when you think of the relationships or the parts of our identity that um, where estrangement shows up and primarily this is in with our families of origin, but also in the case of someone like Brian, like the religious community where you grew up, um, I think it's so much about these relationships that are so core to the formation of your identity and your sense of where you belong, you know? Um, and when that fractures, you know, whether it's, you know, a relationship with a parent becomes unsafe or, or toxic or violent and you cut off that relationship, um, it, it not only is this painful experience of losing that relationship, but it also takes this process of kind of totally rewriting um, your origin story and your your sense of identity. And so I think of estrangement as it's, it's not just about the end of a relationship, um, it's about sort of figuring out who you are if this relationship that has been so core to you um, if it's no longer an active relationship. And so I think that that's something we, it's this long process that that um, doesn't just come with one set of emotions. Yeah. We're speaking with Anna Sale, host of Death, Sex, and Money, an award-winning podcast on WNYC. They have a new three-part series on estrangement that just dropped its last episode Wednesday, but you can still find it wherever you find your podcasts. And we're talking with her right now about that estrangement series. And Anna, you just mentioned a story that I think fits in with another clip that we want to play from the podcast to give people an idea of some of the things that you'll hear about. Because not only will you hear about the break, but you can also hear about sometimes reconnection that happens afterwards. I want to play now a clip of Juliet, who cut ties with her mom, but recently reconnected with her. So much I've learned from like navigating grief with a parent is that people have such a cinematic expectation of what that looks like. And the moments are often so small and just really light a lot of times. You know, it's a simple sentence and and you sit with it and then you move on and and it does it shifts things and it pivots things but you don't like sit in it when you hear stories of reconnection are they similar to Juliet's story is that a common trend that you've heard also or what did you learn from reconnection you know Juliet's story was so interesting to me because um what we heard from her we we she first wrote to us um soon after hearing from her mother, they had been estranged for years and and she had heard from her mother that her mother uh, had late stage cancer, terminal cancer. Um, and she was deciding whether to get back in touch. Um, and she ended up going to see her mother and she explained to us that it was because when her mother reached out, it was in a way that was different than how their relationship had been difficult for years and years and years. Juliet described their relationship as one where um, her mother um, just sort of uh, would often prioritize her own needs and what she needed emotionally from Juliet in a way that um, as a kid was really hard for Juliet. And as Juliet became a young adult, she realized this is not a healthy relationship. Um, and so when she got this letter from her mother, she noticed that her mother didn't say, here's what I need from you because I have this cancer diagnosis. She said, I understand you have this boundary, but I wanted to let you know this in case you wanted to be in touch. And it was just totally shifted the dynamic. And Juliet said, hearing that kind of from her mother, that her mother was sort of understanding what Juliet had needed from her mother all these years um, was sort of like the open door that she needed um, to be back in touch. And when they did um, sort of meet for the first time, I asked Juliet, I said, what was it like? Did you know what you were going to say? What was your plan? And she sort of laughed and she said, it's not like I just like walked in the door and just screamed out, I forgive you. you know, <laughs> they all like, you right. know, she said it was sort of, you know, she, she said it was mostly like the act of showing up was the statement. Um, and then it was sort of um, kind of a quiet unfolding um, and and the other thing that she described is they didn't like 
go back into the past and try to relitigate who was right at which point and who was wrong. Um, they just were with one another. Um, and and that's something that 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 in the literature about estrangement, when there are reconnections or reunions, um, something that is common where there are successful um, restarting of relationships. It's it, There's a book called Fault Lines that came out a few years ago. It just came out in paperback um, by a Cornell professor named Carl Pillimer. And he describes family reunions after estrangement um, something that that helps make them successful is where you just meet each other where you are yeah. and you don't relitigate what happened. You just you are doing it because you are valuing the experience of being able to be with them in this moment. I, I want to highlight what you just said there, Anna. You meet people where they are and you're not trying to relitigate the past. That does lead to successful reconnections, I think, so much. As we're speaking with Anna Sale, host of Death, Sex, and Money, an award-winning podcast on WNYC, and their new three-part series on estrangement. But we also want to include you in on the conversation that we're having. Have you been estranged recently from friends, family, or community institutions that you were close with? Are you currently cutting ties with people that you love or have loved? Did you break off a relationship? And have you been healthier since the break? Has it been more difficult? And what has changed about your life since it's happened? What has the process of removal been like? But I'd also like to hear from you if you're someone who has been estranged, if someone had to cut you off from their life on the other side. I'd love to hear that story as well. Give us a call, 313-577-1019, and join the conversation, 313-577-1019. Anna, one of the things that you did in the series was you did also look at the other side, someone who uh, did not expect to all of a sudden have uh, their daughter say, hey, I'm cutting off contact from you. Uh, and I do want to get into that story or uh, the other side of it, but before I do, one of the things I was really thinking about when hearing some of the stories was how it seemed kind of one-sided. I mean, you're always hearing from the one person's experience, and sometimes we have a motivated reasoning to make our side look better, or maybe our experience is uh, not necessarily reflective of um, what's actually happening. You touched on this in the podcast, but uh, what do you think about the idea that, or the importance of, should we be looking at the other side? Is it okay to just hear the one side? Uh, how does that fit in with estrangement and what you learned in doing this series? I mean, it was it was a challenge as we were doing this episode, these episodes, because you know we're journalists. You know, we mm -hmm. want to tell a story that is. Um, that we can that we can fact check and that we also understand to be the truth. Um, and what we were in a lot of cases as we were listening, as we were taking in these stories from listeners, you know, sometimes it wasn't safe to be in touch with the person that they were telling the story about. Um, but we decided to kind of just like uh, be very upfront with our listeners. Yes, you are hearing one story, uh, one's one person's version of a relationship, um, uh, and and that that you know, has its limitations. And also it is kind of reflective of how estrangement operates in the world. You know, it's not, it's never quite clear who, who is a reliable narrator and who's an unreliable narrator, right? right. And so, and so I think that what we wanted, we, we, how we decided to handle that with the series is to just get very up close to each particular story and, and where there were questions to say like, wow, like, what is this, what is it like to tell this story? Because some people are like, for example, one mother who is estranged from all three of her adult children, as I was interviewing her, you know, I kept feeling this. I mean, I, I asked her, like, what, what is that? How, how, how do you tell this story? And, and how do you deal with the fact that when people are talking with you, they think like, I don't know, maybe if you were estranged from one of your children, but all three, like, what are you leaving out about what it is, it is to have a relationship with you? Um, and so I just asked her that. Um, and, and in that case, that was a story um, which is not uncommon. This was, this was a, a series of estranged relationships that resulted from a very 
nasty, difficult divorce um, when those three kids were growing up in an ongoing battle over custody. And and um, as can happen sometimes in very difficult, nasty divorces, this was an, uh, uh, an example of something called parental alienation, um, where uh, one parent, um, through the course of a, a difficult separation, um, the sort of story within the family becomes uh, that one parent is is the problem. Um, and so she lost a relationship with with all of her three kids. They came to see the divorce not as her leaving their father, but as her making a choice to leave the family. And so her causing all of this pain in their lives. Um, and that cascaded into them eventually deciding they didn't want to have relationships with her. So she has not been in touch with her her three kids for more than 10 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we do have the calls coming in right now. And when we return, we are going to start hearing from the listeners as we continue our conversation with Anna Sale, host of the Death, Sex and Money podcast, talking about estrangement in their new series on the podcast when we return. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson as we discuss estrangement with Anna Sale, host of the Death, Sex and Money podcast, an award winning podcast on WNYC that recently wrapped up a three part series on estrangement this past Wednesday. But we want to also work you in the conversation right now and to help us start this off. We have Abigail in Berkeley. Abigail, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I really enjoy your podcast. Anna. Um, I have been listening to it. Um, it's great to hear stories and just feel heard and feel hear perspectives that are similar to what I've been going through. Um, my dad and I have not been communicating for over a year, and I would be interested in hearing your thoughts and comments about the how realistic it is to try to maintain relationships with family members um, who are still in contact with him. So like it, it creates this rift where I can't interact with those family members because he's there. Um, and, you know, there's gatherings that occur and, um, you know, it's not that I don't want to have a relationship with all of them. Um, but I, for my own health and safety, I, I, can't be around him right now. So um, it makes it difficult to maintain those other relationships. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have to say, I I don't have the perfect advice for that. I think that each family is really dif- different. And um, I think in, in you've got to figure out sort of like what is the way that you feel comfortable um What's the story you feel comfortable sharing with the rest of your family about why you're taking space from your relationship with your father? Um, you know, um, is it okay to say I'm I, I just can't I can't be around him right now and I'm taking some time and leaving it at that. Um, and in that case, you know, maybe you do skip those those family uh, gatherings where he's going to participate, but you figure out other ways to be with family um, and uh, but try not to talk about them. Um, but I, I think that that is, that is something that is, that we, we heard from a lot of people that when you, when you have one difficult relationship in a family that leads to estrangement, like it's not just one relationship that has changed when you decide to change the terms of that relationship, you're, you're changing your participation in the whole family system. And that's going to change other relationships that you have, whether whether you like it or not. So, so I think it's about just figuring out little by little uh, what feels what feels right and what feels um, uh, what are the relationships where you feel like you can um, be honest about what you need right now, um, and where where are the re- where are those relationships where you just need to take a little time out um, and figure out. Um, how you want to re-enter, uh, how you participate. 
Thank you so much, Abigail, for joining the show uh, with that uh, question for uh, Anna. As as we move on to our next call, this is Terry in Harrison Township. Terry, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hey, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, this is a really difficult topic for me, but um, I'm going to give it my best shot. Um, I've been estranged from my family for about five years because there is a history of sexual abuse in our family. And for myself, after years of working through this trauma through therapy, there was just something that I, I, I hate to say it because it sounds cliche, but something I couldn't get over, something I couldn't work past. And my mental health really took a vast decline. Everything was deteriorating. Um, so I decided, um, I decided, decided to start to write and long story short, these narratives were posted online and my family couldn't accept this of me because I had shamed the family. I let the family secret out and I had caused somewhat of a controversy. And, you know, since then, that narrative has been published in a um, Wayne State University press collection of stories of the Arab American experience. And that alone has really helped me along my journey of healing. And it's really unfortunate that my family isn't along on this journey of healing with me um, to be able to take that burden and be able to be done with it, even though you've recognized the hurt, you've recognized the shame, you've recognized how it has changed your worldview and like the scope of your entire life. I don't have to sit with it any longer. And it really hurts because my, I have, I come from a big family. I have an older sister and younger brothers and, um, since this happened, the abuser has since died, and I've lost a brother as well along the way, and our family is very fragmented, and we weren't able to mourn the loss of our brother together as siblings should, and rather than accepting the fact that I had to do this for my own safety and my own mental health, I've been shunned rather than shunning the abuser, the survivor was shunned, and that's the hurt. And it's it, 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 even though I have to accept it because this is a choice that I made, um, it, 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 it's, it's really changed things. My children have suffered. They no longer have relationships with their cousins, and they were very close. I watched my nieces and my nephews grow up from afar, but it's what I had to do to continue to survive. Terry, I want to thank you again for calling and sharing your story. I present that to you, Anna. There's certainly a lot of threads there, including being on the other side of the estrangement, as well as potentially the impact social media has on this process now. But I uh, present her uh, statements to you, Anna. Yeah, I'm really sorry you, you've gone through that. That I mean, I think that what you just described is like, this this is what can happen in families. Um, and th these are stories that are um, very painful and, and again, ones that often um, don't get sort of aired out. So when they are unfolding in families, you can feel very, very, very alone. Um, I will tell you, Terry, that is a very... Um, that is a story we heard over and over again as we were as we were hearing stories of estrangement in families um, about the fallout of disclosures of abuse um, and how different family members um, were able to incorporate that truth into um, how they thought of family and how they rejected that truth and and how that forever changes um, relationships. And I think I think something you just want, one thing I want to underline about what you just said there, Terry, that I think is really important is, you know, of course, I think that what you described, this is like an, a, an alive um, grief, you know, that the the breakdown of these family relationships don't aren't just a, a, something that happened in the past. They're continuing to affect your ability to to be together as a family. And that continues to cause sadness. Um, but the other thing that you described that I'm I'm very heartened to hear is that you have found other sources of support and community as you have um, figured out how to go forward um, f after this history of abuse. And I think that that is something we also heard from a lot of listeners um, after experiences of estrangement um, 
is is how critical it is to um, take seriously the rebuilding that you have to do to um, create new sources of support. Um, maybe that's chosen family. Maybe that's finding deep friendships, um, people who can who can love you unconditionally. But but out of the experience of a family estrangement is this process of if these people who have been my people um, are no longer my people, um, who do I rely on? And and that is a that's a, a process that um, takes time. And, and I think I'm glad to hear that you have found have found people to be your people um, because what you are even after an estrangement after a disclosure the pain of what caused that estrangement doesn't go away it's something the relationship might be on pause because you've estranged from that relationship but but that the pain and the history there is very active and it's something you have to figure out um, how to process those feelings so I'm, I'm glad to hear you've found other sources of support Thanks again for calling Terry and Harrison Township as we are speaking with Anna Sale, host of the Death, Sex and Money podcast and their series on estrangement. And we've got lines for you as well to get involved with the conversation. 313-577-1019. And we can work you in just like we are working in Robert in Detroit. Robert, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Um, you know, we, we're never been so divided as a country, our families, our neighbors and all that. And a lot of it comes down to sex, religion, and politics. And there's a there's a Franciscan friar, his name is Richard Rohr, and he's from the uh, Center for Action and Contemplation in um, New Mexico. And he talks about this. It's an ecumenical thing, but it's from a Christian perspective. We're taught often that, you know, Christians are to act like Christ. And he says that's not really what it's about. It's about seeing Christ in others. So, um, and that's a, that's kind of a, a universal thing that even Hindus and, and Buddhists, it's, it's about, do you see the divinity in others? Even in yoga, they talk about the spirit in me bows to the spirit in you. So if you can see someone else as um, God living in them or love living in them, whether they're gay, straight, black, white, Muslim, Jewish, Sikh, doesn't matter, atheist, if you can see the other human being um, as a divinity in them, and, and to take it even further, everything in the world, our planet, rocks. Um, you can start to understand them better. And since a lot of these risks are over religion and shunning people, it's like anybody who really believes in their faith, and it's a big part of their life, they will understand that if you kind of bring it to them that way, in a non-threatening way. Say, you know, don't you believe that, you know, there's a divinity in this other person? Not that that person is God, but that God is the Spirit of God is in them. So I found that, you know, I've shunned some people for the same reasons other people have, and, and I've been shunned, but I've seen barriers come down over the years. And it's not, it's, you have to respect boundaries. You can't do it instantaneously, and different people will, will change at different times. But I see over the last year huge improvements in relationships doing this. And I really feel bad mm. for the last um, but I think that for me, it's been a good practice. It's practice. It's not perfection. Right. right. Robert in Detroit, I really do appreciate that. Uh, here, there was a point that you heard there, and I want to go ahead and let you respond to Robert. Yeah, Robert, thanks for that beautiful thought. Um, you know, the thing that you made me think of um, as I was doing these interviews as part of this series, you know, it was very. Uh, what was the most challenging for me as a journalist was to talk to um, the parents who had uh, had their adult children estrange themselves from from them. I talked to two mothers that that had been their experience, and I have two two little kids, and and it was very difficult to just sort of contemplate um, that kind of distance with my children, the heaviness of that. Um, and and it made one one thing that one of the mothers talked about, which I just thought was so interesting. Um, we called her Megan in the series. She she her her adult daughter has has told her that she can't be in relationship with her right now. And and it's been four years. And the thing that Megan talked about was how it has made her really reflect on the nature of parental love 
and the limits of parental love. And the way she describes it is like with parental love, um, your job is to love this person, love this child, like launch them into the world and and your ability to control how they love you back yeah. is is not up to you. Yeah. Um, and and uh, you know, that's a hard thing to think about as a as a parent. You just uh, all these things like, first of all, don't you know how much i I gave up for you? <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, but but, you know, that's that's it. You know, our our job as parents is to just love this this child and launch them into the world. and and per- parenthood is nothing but facing the limits of your control. and And so that's what you made me think about, like the what our own role is in thinking about how we love um, and what we can expect back from that love um, is is not something that we can be in control of all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Robert in Detroit, thanks again for joining the conversation and that uh, excellent point as we continue right now with Sam in Mount Clemens. Sam, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hey, guys, what a what a deep topic, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what Anna specializes in. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, anyways, uh, my mother and I, we never really got along. Um, I think it started with a my parents getting divorced when I was 12 and my forties now, but anyways, um, fast forward to 2016 politics. That was like the straw that broke the camel's back. We we just couldn't be in the same room anymore. Um, anyways, last year I, I, I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Um, I was going into rehab for the fifth time trying to quit drinking. My wife was divorcing me. I was losing everything, and I reluctantly went to my mom's to stay for a couple months. And over a couple conversations, she kind of coached me uh, into uh, talking to my wife. And it, like, I don't think I'd be here today had I not had that conversation because now I'm almost mm. a year sober. I got everything back. Mm. I got my wife back, and uh, yeah, it's it's just um, boundaries. That's what I wanted to say. Uh, boundaries. That's what we work on. My mother and I too. It's okay to hey, I just can't deal with you right now. <laughs> you know? But great, great conversation, guys. And I present it to you. Wow, what a year you've had! Congratulations, a year sober. Um, it, it, I wonder if you're if you're still there. Can you tell us specifically when you were talking to your mom? What was it that she said? Well, she had talked to my wife because we live basically next door to each other, and our our backyards are connected. And she was like, you know, she your wife. She's telling me it was broke down and she's at her raw form right now. And she's like, I can tell Sammy that she loves you so much. And I really think son, you, if you want it, you can, um, you can make this happen. You can have your family back. And we have a nine year old daughter too. And just the, it's, it's almost, Oh God, it's, it's so, I don't know. It's, I don't know what the word. <laughs> I can't have an hard time with words, but it was just like, like an aha moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it just I don't know, like full circle, and we have a great relationship now. So it was something very small, but pivoted everything, um, every relationship I have in my life. It just really did change a lot of things, and for the better. Mm, that's beautiful. Thanks so much for sharing. And I also really love that advice you shared about how sometimes in our closest relationships, it's okay to say, I really can't deal with you right now and just take a break. (laughs) Well, speaking of taking a break, and sometimes we have to do that here on Detroit Today, but we will return with more of your calls. 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. Glenn in Detroit, David in Southfield, keep it locked in. You'll be next on Detroit Today when we return.
WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. WDET. I'm your host, Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson as we're having a conversation very deep and thoughtful about estrangement, cutting ties with people and places, and starting anew with Anna Sale, the host of the Death, Sex, and Money award-winning podcast at WNYC that just finished up a three-part series on estrangement that you can pick up still wherever you find podcasts. You can give us a call and join the conversation as well. 313-577-1019. If you have been estranged recently, currently cutting ties with people that you've loved, or have they cut ties with you, what do you want to learn from Anna's many conversations that she's had with people? Give us a call. 313-577-1019 as we move to Glenn in Detroit. Glenn, you're on Detroit today. Hey, Nick, thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I married into uh, a family, my wife, who had uh, six siblings and her mom was still alive about uh, 15 years ago. And one of the nieces I became very close to, um, we used to take her on trips, uh, birding and, and kind of things you wouldn't think a teenager would like. But I became very close to her and... Uh, uh, she, she, uh, decided to marry this, uh, you know, her, her boyfriend and we actually performed the ceremony, uh, for that, but she didn't want to tell anybody else in the family. She especially didn't want to tell her mother because she just knew that was going to cause all kinds of problems. Her mother would take over what's going to happen, who's going to be there, when it's going to happen. And Rebecca wanted to be in charge of the whole thing. And so she didn't tell him. We performed the service. And then uh, after the family found out, uh, we were estranged from the whole family. Mm. Um, not the mother. The mother, I mean, she was in her 90s, and she just, like, she was really cool. And I mean, <laughs> she, she, we've always been, I've always been close to her. But my wife and, and, uh, and I were, were estranged from the family. And then... A few years later, when the pandemic started, we became estranged from the Rebecca for some reason. And she's in her 20s, and I never really understood it, you know. I, I texted her and told her no matter what happened, I would always love her and and just never heard from her. And then I ran into her, uh, actually, our uh, the, the matriarch, our, my wife's mother, passed away at 95 just two weeks ago. And of course, I saw everybody there, and everybody was on good behavior. But Rebecca, you know, I saw Rebecca, and we really hugged for a long time. She was really—I never had kids, and she was like almost a daughter to me. And so I said, "Well, we'll get back. To, we, you know, we have to get together." She said, "Yes, yes, yes." And you know, she's in her late twenties now, and uh, but I can't get back together with her without saying, "Rebecca." What happened? Yeah. We need to talk about this. And I haven't done that yet, but I'm going to send her a text to say, I want to get together, just you and me, and talk about what happened. Mm. How does that sound? Anna, I present the question to you. Oh, that sounds like a lot of a lot. Um, yeah. And I'm sure it was quite painful to have that mystery and to not understand. Um you know, I, I don't know what the right thing to do is, but I, I think that the indicating the willingness to listen um, sounds like a good good place to start. Um, if she, you know, it's 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 kind of like it's not it's it's going to be up to her for what she shares up to her what she shares with you. Um, and so I think that the text I'd like to get together and maybe not say I want to talk about what happened, just say I'd like to get together. Yeah. And then over a nice meal, ask her how she's doing right now, um, tell her you've missed her, and then sort of see where the conversation goes. Um, because 
there's something that happened in your relationship that you're not aware of. Um, and, and um, you know, we, we don't know when she's going to be or if she's going to be ready to, to tell you. Yeah. Um, but I think just indicating just like you did when, when your relationship cut off that, that you will always love her. I mean, she carried that with her, um, that you, you still said, I don't understand what's going on, but I always will care about you. Yeah. Um, and, and just, um, indicating that willingness to, to spend time together. And and then you'll see what happens in this next phase of your relationship. You know, I, I think that's uh, really beautiful there. And I'm, I'm thinking about sometimes we have this desire, we want things to be right. We want to make up for everything all at once. And we have our agenda. We want to just pull it off in the first conversation, but that can be difficult. You know, you build a house brick by brick. It starts with one, sometimes opening up the communication, not necessarily having your own agenda of let's get all of this done. I want to talk about this. It would make me feel better. How about just how can we open up a dialogue safest way possible? Maybe talk about how well the Detroit Lions are doing. Something we both agree with. <laughs> Thank God for sport. Right, right. And then and then casually get into uh, what we need to allow things to go naturally from there. But Glenn in Detroit, I wish you the best. Good luck with that. And thank you for calling and sharing your story. As we move to David in Southfield. David, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi, how you doing? Doing well. How are you doing? Right. Go ahead. Very good. David, are you are you there? We're going to put David back on hold. I don't think he's quite ready right now as we move to uh, John in Southfield. John, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi. Um, I think that uh, there is a uh, aspect of this that intersects with uh, cancel culture. And while mm. I don't think that uh, we can do, we can take uh, concerns about someone's safety or being harmed, we shouldn't. We need to take that seriously. I think there's also an aspect of this where people feel that abandoning a relationship is a way to resolve their issues. And I don't think that that's the case. I think part of what has to happen is there has to be, uh, you know, work in the relationships. So I've had this experience. There was no abuse or anything like that involved. Um, but it's just kind of an easy way out for people sometimes. And uh, it's become kind of a norm within our society. And again, while we, the concern for people who are in psychological or emotional pain uh, has to be respected and taken seriously, uh, th that particular solution creates a lot of harm for other people as well. And that may not be appropriate in all cases. You know, David, I really appreciate your point of perspective here. One question I would have, though, because I think about this from time to time, right, uh, especially with friends, but even family members, uh, you know, if... I want to continue a relationship with you. It should be something that makes us both feel good. If I'm not feeling good about the relationship for whatever reason, am I obligated now to continue it with you? Setting aside, you know, abuse or anything. What if I just don't enjoy hanging out with you? Do I need to continue to hang out with you? Go ahead. I, I would uh, hearken back to something that was said earlier uh, with regard to divorce. A divorce is not estrangement. Estrangement is at a different level. Mm. And I think they have a hard block where there's no opportunity mm -hmm. for two people to be able to even make the simplest uh, effort at, at uh, being, you know, in relationship. Um, I just, I think it's counterproductive. And again, I'm not trying to yeah. diminish the, the importance of somebody who's hurting to be able to deal with it. But yeah. I'm just saying that just this idea of you just abandon a relationship when the going gets tough, uh, I think that's out there. And I don't think it's a very... I don't think it's a healthy aspect of it. And I think we, because it's so serious when somebody is hurt, uh, we just sort of have a bias, against, a bias against thinking about what the consequence is for the person who's being cut off. Mm. Um, but that's a, that's a, I'm just speaking from experience, yeah. that feels like a violent act in its own right. Uh, John and Southfield, I appreciate that perspective. I present his points to you, Anna. You know, I, I think that that was a really important point, and it's something that I thought about a lot while we were making this series, is is we wanted to make sure we showed the consequences of this blunt tool of estrangement, the cost of, of what happens when you cut yourself off. Um, 
to make clear it's it's it is not a a, a, a something to do lightly um and and i think that that the sort of um, modern day tools of being able to block a phone number or cut somebody off digitally, yeah. um, you know, and, and just ghost a relationship. Um, I, I agree with you that that yeah. is, that is uh, for, for our most sacred relationships, um, I think that the thing we have to ask ourselves is, are we doing, um, are, are we being honest brokers at, at, in our part of the relationship? Maybe it's not safe to say to someone, "I can't be in relationship with you right now." But, but, uh, but to be think really critically about that because um, because when you're cutting off a relationship, uh, you know, if you can. Um, to to be honest about what's going on with you, because otherwise it's 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 a it's a it is a very harsh um, and can be cruel a cruel act to just cut yourself off. So so I think that yes, I think there is a responsibility um, for the person who's doing the cutting off to think really critically about what what can I safely communicate about why this is happening? Yeah, yeah, man, cutting people off now, badge of honor, put the block on them. I've never blocked anybody from my phone. I know sometimes <laughs> it, it is necessary, but it also seems to me, you know, you can't just float that out there. You know what I mean? Like, hey, if you're going to do it, you're going all the way. That's a significant step. Only got about 30 minutes left with you, and I just want to uh, have you put out for people who are going to check out the podcast for the first time. What advice do you have for them? How can they do it? What should they do? Well, you can find the podcast just by Googling Death, Sex, and Money. We're a WNYC podcast. You can find it wherever you listen. Um, but if this is something that's happening in your life, first of all, um, know that you're not on your own. This is These kinds of complicated, difficult dynamics show up in a lot of our relationships and that um, you need support. This is difficult. This is hard. Um, you're not alone and uh, find someone to talk to about it because this is really heavy. I really appreciated the opportunity to speak with you and the listeners about it again. Anna Sale, host of Death, Sex and Money, the award winning podcast. Thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for us here on 1019 WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection for news, music and conversation. Tune in Monday when we'll talk about why modern men and boys are having such a difficult time. It'll be a great conversation. We'll see you on Monday.